truly a blessing to be here with you all, celebrating the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, and especially here on a Sabbath, celebrating the Sabbath of the Lord as well. Today's sermon um, is going to be on something that's might be thought of as simple in the life of a believer, but I believe that it's really pertinent at any age, at anywhere that you are in your walk with Jesus Christ. And the name of the sermon is, What's in a Lie? What's in a Lie? Before we get started, though, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful, beautiful day that you've blessed us with. Thank you so much, especially for all the many people, many Israelites, here gathered together in your pews to worship and glorify your name. I pray especially, Lord, that my words would be worth something today, that I would not be the one speaking, Lord, but you, O Holy Spirit from heaven, that you would guide and direct my mind and my thoughts, that something of value may be brought forth today, I pray. Thank you so much for all your wonderful blessings in our many lives, and in Jesus Christ's name I pray all these words, amen. amen. So what's in a lie? What's in a lie? The tongue is one of the smallest organs of the body. Yet, it's a world of evil, and it's full of deadly poison. Jesus called us a, a generation of vipers, full of deadly poison by what we say. Our tongue corrupts our whole body and can set the course of our life on fire. And it itself is set on fire of hell, by hell. For our opening text... Let's turn to where these words are found. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I'm sure many of you know this one. It's a very famous chapter. And it's on the sins of the tongue. James can often be an overlooked writer in the New Testament. And that's really too bad because he has many words of wisdom for us. So James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. The evil of our tongue can work within and without. It defiles us on the inside, and destroys our lives on the outside. Complete destruction. Man has been successful in taming many creatures. We've domesticated many animals that God has given us dominion over to help us in our life. But our tongue can be even more elusive to tame than even the wildest of creatures. Our tongue is connected to our heart, and it is the heart that manipulates our tongue for good or for evil, to bless or to curse. Let's turn to another text over in Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. 
A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. That verse 36 is a pretty scary one. Because I, I know I've said many foolish things in my youth and in my past, and even some more recently. And to think that one day, somewhere recorded is every single little tiny word that you said, whether good or bad. And God knows about it. And he's going to ask you about it come judgment time. That's a very scary thought. The tongue, as our rudder, determines the direction of a ship. In spite of its minuscule size in comparison to a great ship, likewise, the tongue directs the actions and directions of our entire body. It steers us in a direction, whether good or bad. Our lives are destined, after all, to go in some direction. We can't just live in the middle and not go good or bad. There's no in-between. God doesn't see it that way. The right word at the right time can open doors to great things that will set the course of our lives at work. On the other hand, the wrong word spoken at any time, even at an unsuspecting moment, can close doors, establish a certain reputation, and mark our destiny for ill. Let's look at another verse over in Psalms. This time we're going to go to the Old Testament. We'll go to Psalms 34, verses 12 and 13. Let's see what the psalmist David has to say. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? I hope that everyone here wants to live a good, happy life, full of devotion to the Lord. Well, if we want to, if we desire life and love many days, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. It's very difficult to tame the tongue. Even spiritually mature Christians struggle. Words have a way of slipping past our lips before we even know it. This is a very common issue. It's happened to me very frequently. You just get in this almost robotic mode of being in a conversation with someone, and then all of a sudden, something not very good might slip out. That's the danger of being autopilot. We always need to be aware of our thoughts, taking into captivity all of our thoughts for Jesus Christ. It's not an easy thing to do, because the monotony of the daily life, it takes over. But we really need to think about what we're saying on a daily basis, on a wordly basis, even. Think of how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, depending on how much of a speaker you are, of words that are going through your lips each day. Are they blessings or are they curses? Verbal sins can destroy entire families and congregations. To lie is to create a barrier between the truth and the perception that others have of us. Some people tell lies occasionally, but some people walk so deeply in lies 
And they tell them so habitually and compulsively that they don't even know. They, they start to believe their own lies. They don't even know what truth is. They live under false pretenses. People lie so that others will form beliefs that are not true. People tell lies for many reasons. To avoid embarrassment, to exaggerate accomplishments, and disguise wrongdoing. Many of us will lie even to our friends and families, the closest people that we have in our lives, to spare their feelings. Whatever our purpose in telling these lies, they can be gross, big, or subtle, small. It's believing one thing while intending to communicate another that every lie is born. Oftentimes, liars imagine they don't harm as long as their lies go undetected. But what if you brought that forth to the one being lied to, even if it is just a tiny little white lie? If the reverse was true, if you knew that someone was lying to you, even a tiny one, and you thought in your heart, oh, this won't offend them, you know it would offend you, even a small one. The moment we consider our dishonesty from the point of view of those we lie to, we recognize that we would feel betrayed. Now, I've already read a few verses into the transcript about how God feels about lying. And it's pretty obvious that God hates it. He hates it. He abhors it. He calls it an abomination. A problem for liars. He must keep track of his lies. Some people are better at this than others. But you see, once you begin a lie, you have to keep lying to keep that lie up. You must continually protect your lie from collisions with reality. In this way, a commitment to truth is naturally purifying. But a liar must take care to maintain these falsehoods in the future. This requires an extraordinary amount of work. And that's often why, after a certain point, a habitual liar has breakdowns. Their mind can't keep up with all of these lies, and it's, they, they implode. It's, it's awful. It's sad to see. Whether or not anyone discovers that they've been lying, that stress accumulates. So let's shift gears now, and let's look into some types of lying. Let's get some, uh, a list going here, so that way we can kind of inspect them a little bit and uh, get in our minds what all entails lying. There are two main types, two big types of lying. Concealment, leaving out true information, and two, falsification, the presentation of false information as if it were true. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Now that we know the two major forms of lying, let's look at a subset of lies that fall under these two broad categories. There are ten in total. Ten. Let's look at number one. The first one is exaggeration. It's enhancing the truth by adding lies to it. Overstating something to impress others. 
A person who exaggerates usually mixes truth. There's some truth in there, but there's also lies. And they want to make themselves look impressive to others. After a while, the exaggerator may even begin to believe their own exaggeration. But an exaggerator is really a tragic person because what is that that says about themselves that they feel inadequate about themselves to the point of making up stories to look good to others. But we need to find fulfillment not necessarily on anything here in this world, but fulfillment in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our brother Jamie talked about how the different countries find fulfillment in their lives and how even America, who did have faith in the list, it was number five. Family was first. And don't get me wrong, family is extremely important. But first and foremost, we should go to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, family. Number two, second type of lies. False witness. That's right there on the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Of course, all lies really fall under that ninth commandment. Lying about people, especially while under oath. We actually see this in the Bible. This, this has happened in the Bible. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make here is on Acts 25, verse 7. We see Paul standing before the judgment. He was falsely accused. And of course, Jesus was falsely accused. This is a big one. It's the ninth commandment. Number three, dissimulation. Dissimulation. It's a little bit of a big word, but... It means faking it, covering it up, covering up. An example would be, hey boss, I'm sick. <coughs> when really you just wanted a day off. You know, maybe, maybe you wanted to get something done at home that you don't normally have an opportunity. Yeah, that's still a lie though, calling in sick. That's just a small example. But an example, an interesting example from the Bible that maybe we haven't heard of in a while is uh, from David. Let's turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. So let's, uh, let's lay the plot here. We have David. He's fleeing from Saul, and he flees to Achish, king of Gath. Now let's drop into verse 10 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man that is mad? Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of mad men, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So there we see David playing a madman. He's letting his spit fall down, and he's scrabbling on the doors and acting all crazy. 
because he was afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Maybe he should have had a little bit more trust in the Lord. Let's go to number four. The white lie. This is probably the most common. Because we think, oh, it's a small one. It's a little one. Well, unfortunately, the way that God sees sin is every little sin is a sin. No matter how big or small we as humans try to shape them into, they're all sin. And all require the punishment of death. And eternal separation from God. Unless we have Jesus Christ's blood washing away our sins. So this white lie. A white lie is often called the least serious of all lies. Which in itself is a, a lie itself. People tell white lies claiming to be tactful or polite. For example, it could be making up an excuse to not go to a party. Or showing love for a gift that you actually don't particularly like. This is a very easy one to fall into. And for some, we think that that's polite, but we're actually lying. It's amazing how our cultural feeling of rightness can be so wrong sometimes. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to go about the right way of steering in that situation. You're going to have to figure that out on your own. But know that those are lies. Consider in your hearts, the thought of your heart, before you say them. Telling white lies can cause conflicts and lose credibility of those that tell them. We can incur many problems when we're less than straightforward in our dealings with other people. Sincerity, authenticity, integrity, mutual understanding, these and other sources of moral wealth are destroyed the moment we deliberately misrepresent our true beliefs, whether or not our lies are even discovered. So let's take back that situation where someone is having a nice little party, and we don't particularly want to go to that party. So we make up an excuse. Oh, my kid's sick. We have to take care of him. Well, what's going to happen to that brother or sister that asked you, when they find out from the grapevine somehow, it'll probably come out, lies usually come out, that, oh, your child wasn't actually sick. How are they going to feel when they find out? There's going to be a schism brought forth in such a little, a little tiny white lie. There are going to be feelings, hurt especially. Put yourself in that situation. Always reverse the roles if you're not sure how to act. Difficult to do. It's difficult to do. By lying, we deny our friends access to our reality. And their resulting ignorance can harm them in ways that we don't even foresee. Our friends may act on our falsehoods or fail to solve problems that could have been solved with true info. Let's look at number five now. We're on number five, the fifth type of lying. Flattery, a lie masquerading as encouragement from a selfish motive to manipulate the hearer in order to achieve the flatterer's covert purpose. It's insincere praise 
and gratification for one's ego. What is one's ego? What, what other sin can we think of that's being included here in flattery? Pride. Pride. The, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sin from which many and even all sins flow down from. Desiring to uplift ourselves. Love, but, but on, on love, true love, true brotherly love, agape and phileo. Love never flatters others. And wisdom never desires to be flattered, which we can see in Proverbs 29, 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Again in Proverbs, we see another type of flattery. We see the, we see the young man seduced by the flattery of the adulterous woman. It seduces that young man because it fills him with pride. He feels good about himself. And he wants to continue to feel that. And so he chases that adulterous woman to destruction. Number six, boasting. While similar to our first one, exaggeration, this is its extreme. In exaggeration, we mixed some truth with the lie. There was some truth in that story. But here in boasting, we're implying vocal self-praise or claims of superiority over others. Stretching the story so much that it's no longer a true story at all. Let's look at Jeremiah. Let's turn to a text. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about boasting. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So that word glory... If you look at its root word, and one of its meanings is, we can translate it to boasting, the word boasting that we know today. So here we have the Lord through Jeremiah saying, don't boast in yourself. Because who created you? What's the point in, in boasting of anything that we've done, can do, or any of our abilities? Because they're all from God. Amen. Nothing that you are is apart from God. He created you the way you are. And anything you accomplish and anything you do, give God the glory for. Because He truly is the one that it comes from. And He delights in that. Give God the glory. Don't boast in yourself. Boast in our powerful, almighty God. Number seven. The unfulfilled promise. The unfulfilled promise. This one is especially dangerous for those who are in authority roles. This is a failure to keep one spoken commitment or promise. A broken promise can be especially damaging when the person who made the promise 
has no intention whatsoever of keeping their word to begin with. Don't make a promise you don't intend to keep. If you're not sure that you're going to be able to meet that promise, if you're not 150% sure, don't make it. I can guarantee you that that person's going to understand why you're not promising. Don't make a promise you don't intend to keep. Now, parents, we are especially notorious for this. We need to be very careful what we're teaching our children. When we make them those little, those little promises, we think, oh, they're going to forget. They're just little kids. They don't care if dad said he was going to take them to the park today, but oh, he got busy and he didn't actually. What does that tell your child about you as a father or a mother? And what does that tell your child? Oh, it's okay to lie. Planting the seeds of lying in those little hearts. We need to be careful for our children too, not just our brothers and sisters. Because there's actually um, a study that was published that, if time allows, I'd like to get to online in the world today. But anyways, moving on to number eight. Fabrication. Fabrication. Things that are entirely made up. An example would be telling others something that you don't know for sure is true. Fabrications can be extremely hurtful because they lead to rumors that can damage someone else's reputation. Tailbearing is especially detrimental to the cohesion and love between those in the congregation. As soon as you hear something from someone else about a third party, and there's no way for you to truthfully back it up, whether good or bad, if you don't know 100% that's true, don't pass it on. Maybe even encourage that person who said that. Hey, do you actually know if that's true? And if they say no, shut it down. Maybe we shouldn't be spreading that if we don't know it's 100% true. Amen. And that'll nip it right in the bud. Think of all the hate and the discouragement from each other that we can save ourselves if we just each think, is it a fabrication? Does it have the possibility of a fabrication? Because if there's a 99%, oh yeah, that sounds something like they would do, but that 1% of doubt, just because it sounds like it might be true, but you don't know for 100% sure, think of the damage that it can do. Possibly irreparable damage. And number nine, the bold-faced lie, which is really sad. But it's telling someone something that everyone knows already is a lie. They already know you're lying right off the bat. As soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're not, you're not deceiving anybody. It's simple. Let, let's look at a kid. It's simple and sometimes cute for a little child to come up. They've got chocolate chips covering their mouth. And you ask them, did you get into the cookies? And they say, no. We think that's kind of cute, right? Well, maybe it is cute for a moment. But maybe that's something we need to nip right in the bud. That's lying. No matter how little or cute they are, we need to be shaping these little people's future. As we get older, 
and it's not nipped into the bud, what does it grow into? We become more clever with our cover-ups. Maybe add another year or two, and that child is realizing, oh, gotta wipe away the evidence. Mom and Dad won't know. Now the cookies are missing, but nobody knows who did it. And it progresses. And if it's allowed to get in adulthood, it can be so damaging. When people hear a bold-faced lie, imagine you're the one hearing this bold-faced lie. They're resentful that the liar would be so belittling of their time and intelligence. You're sitting there hearing this lie from someone, and you're thinking, are they serious? Again, so damaging. Number 10, our, our last one. Fraud. Fraud. It's an expression of a lying tongue trying to deceive someone so that you can take advantage of them. More often than not, we hear fraud in financial terminology. Financial fraud. Have you ever told any of these lies? I know I have. I'm a liar. I've lied in the past. And I hope one day to never lie, but we all know that things slip out. It happens. But if we each make a conscious effort to each time that lie slips out, whether we're talking to someone or even in our own heart, if we instantly go, no, wait, I'm actually not 100% sure about that. Maybe we'll be saving ourselves from something. Amen. Think, of, think of all the damage you're going to be saving and going to repentance immediately to our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you always have it on your mind, it gets easier and easier, and the slip-ups will be less and less frequently so that we can become more like Christ. Amen. You may be able to get away with your lying for a while, but lies will always come back to haunt you. The truth always comes out. What starts as simple white lies turn into a life-destroying habit. But there is true freedom in living in truth and telling the truth. Let's go to John. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Jesus always has important things to say to us. Let's turn to John, John's Gospel, chapter 8, and we're going to break into verse 31, 31 and 32. Then Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Often that verse is misquoted, and the truth shall set you free, but the truth shall make you free. Let's look at another subset, another idea on lying that maybe is overlooked. Hypocrisy. Maybe we've got lying nipped in the bud, what we think is lying. But maybe hypocrisy is sneaking in when we're not paying attention. So hypocrisy. We don't often view lying and hypocrisy in the same light. However, they both involve untruths. The lack of truth. When we lie, we say something untrue in the hopes the hearer 
we'll believe it to be true. But when we demonstrate hypocrisy, we claim beliefs in our lives, but fail to support that truth in our lives. We say we are one thing, but we truly are another. We come to church on Saturday filled with glee and happiness and hallelujah, but then we go home, we go through our work week, and we're different people. We're different people. <coughs> truth is a big deal, because God is the essence of truth. There is nothing false in him. When we're in the habit of telling people what they want to hear, this habit has a big problem when churchgoers go to tell God what they think he wants to hear. Then they go out and live however they want. This is a very dangerous one and easy to get into because we might even convince ourselves, I come to church every Saturday. I'm a Bible-washed Christian, or sorry, a blood-washed Christian. And maybe we say to God, look at me, God. I do all the things that you want me to do. But is that the truth when you go home? Is that the truth in your heart? Because God knows our hearts. He knows us better than we do. Sometimes we might have trouble looking in on ourselves and studying our hearts, trying to study our imaginations. And it can be difficult because we're good at lying even to ourselves. But God knows. And he will help you. All you have to do is ask. He'll reveal to you. Just ask. Let's look at a famous story of hypocrisy as an example. The famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. So this is going to be in Acts. So let's look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to lead into it at the end of Acts chapter 4 into Acts chapter 5. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we're learning of the generosity of early Christians. They're building the early church and they need some finances to get things going. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to play their part as well. So they decided to do the same, to sell their property and give the money to the apostles for the Lord's work. All right, let's break into verse 1 of chapter 5. Now we're in chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. That means she was aware of it, she knew, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. A certain being only a chunk of it. There was a chunk missing, right? So Peter confronts Ananias with his crime in verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? As we read on, we find that both husband and wife were partners in this crime. But this wasn't just any lie. This was a special lie for the bad reasons. While it remained, 
Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. They lied to the Holy Spirit while attempting to make themselves look better than they were. It was a sin of hypocrisy. They succumbed to the temptation. They wanted other people to see them in a light, to see them in a way that they actually weren't. And Peter was trying to tell them, it would have been better, better for you just to have tell us. It would have been okay if you would have saved some of it. It was in your own power. But instead, you concealed it. And we all know what happened. As soon as Ananias heard these things, heard these words, he fell down and gave up the ghost. Gave up the ghost, that means he died. He dropped dead right there. The power of the Holy Spirit. It's a very sobering story. Let's turn over in the Old Testament now. Real quick, we'll read uh, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. This is a hard thing about lying, is in order to break the cycle, we've got to take that punch. We've got to confess and forsake them. And there's probably going to be some repercussions. It's going to hurt. But we see what happens when we complete this. They shall have mercy. Confess and forsake. And you shall have mercy. And in 1 John, let's go to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hypocrisy is a destructive force within the community of God's people. If Satan can't destroy a church from the outside, he will attempt to destroy it from within. Ananias and Sapphira exhibited a public persona that their private lives denied. This is where many people in the churches are today, trying to make people believe that they are more spiritual than they truly are. In Titus 1, verse 16, we see, they profess that they know God, but in works... They deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. We need to connect our daily lives to Jesus, daily taking up the cross and following him, not just on the Sabbath. Now, where does lying come from? Satan, of course. We find that in the Bible. Let's look at John chapter 8. I'm sure you guys all know this, but I'd like to read it. We're going back into John chapter 8. Interestingly enough, just a couple verses ago, Jesus was talking about truth. And over here in 44 and 45, we're talking about lies. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Satan is the father of all lies. Jesus presents here a stark definition of two kinds of man. 
The one is of truth, and the other is of a lie. The one who is of God, and the other who is of the devil. The one who is of truth is able to hear the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. But the other who believes in lies cannot. You see, when Satan lies, he speaks in his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's his own language. When we lie, guess what we're doing? We're speaking Satan's native language. It's music to his ears. He loves it. He loves hearing it. And you know what? At the same time, it's detestable to gods. It's an abomination to him. He hates it. Love the truth. Begin to love what is true and just, the word of God. God despises lying because he is truth. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Loving Jesus means loving the truth. And those who truly love the truth will love Jesus. Speak the truth in love. If we do that, it won't be hate. It won't be hurt. And it'll be a blessing. Speak the truth in love and keep your promises, even if it hurts. And your life will be unshakable before God. As much as humanly possible. Let's look at 2 Corinthians in closing now. We've only got a few minutes left. We're going to look at uh, three, three verses all together, all in the New Testament. So 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself above the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedient of, obedience of Christ. Because if we aren't able to control this, let's look... Let's go to Revelation. Let's look at another time when we'll be seeing Jesus. We're going to go to Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Of all the sins that are collected here, amongst them murdering, idolaters, unbelievers, right there is lying. That's a pretty fearful thing. Now, mainstream Christianity has an interesting cotton candy fluff idea when it comes to Jesus. He thinks, oh, when Jesus comes again, he's going to come on a fluffy cloud with rainbows, and there's going to be butterflies, and it's all going to be great. Well, let's turn back a little bit. Let's, let's look at a different Jesus, the real Jesus. While Jesus is love, he is also coming again in a way that mainstream Christianity might not expect. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Yes. He's coming back 
with a blood-soaked garment, soaked with the blood of his enemies. Not on a cloud, not with fluff. So think on these things when we consider these two verses in Revelation and the seriousness of them. Now, we've got a short time left, and I had mentioned that I'd looked at a survey on lying. Now, we're going to have to run through this pretty quickly, so bear with me. I know we're all getting hungry. Now, study. This is examining 116,366 lies told by 632 participants over 91 days, covering 75% of those who lied between zero and two times. 6% lied more frequently. And finally, there was 1% who lied an average of 17 or more times per day. And supposedly, there's a 1% that said that they didn't lie at all. God be praised if that 1% were being truthful, but maybe they themselves were lying. Of these low, medium, and higher level tiers, when asked why they lied throughout their day, consider these reasons that they brought forth. 21% to avoid others. 20% as a joke or a prank. 14% to protect themselves. 13% to impress or to appear favorable. 11% to protect others. 9% for personal gain. 5% for the benefit of another person. 2% to hurt another person on purpose. And 5% for no reason at all. They just wanted to lie. On average, 7% of all these people, the low, the medium, and the high-tiered liars, 7% of their daily communication consisted of lies. 7%. Now, who did these people lie to? 51%. Friends. 21%. Family. 11%. School or work colleagues. 8.9% strangers. 8.5% casual acquaintance. Look at that. We would normally think that'd be flip-flopped, right? The highest percentage are friends and family. Those closest to us. The smallest percent is casual acquaintances and strangers. We're more likely to lie to those we love and who are close to our hearts than those who are complete strangers. Isn't that sad? And 88.6% of those lies were considered white lies. An example, like brought forth before, is saying you like a gift that you didn't actually like. And 11.4% were characterized as big lies. An example would be telling someone that you love them, but you didn't actually mean it. So all of this to say that even though in our hearts and in our minds, maybe we think lying is simple, it's kind of a, maybe a milk doctrine idea, but it's really truly a severe thing, especially if it's left uncontrolled. So every time we go out in our communication, let's think about what we're really saying. And if we catch ourselves, let's backtrack and say, no, I'm sorry, I just lied. And ask forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, this congregation will be a better place. And of course, the world will be a better place, full of truth and righteousness. Because Satan seeks to tear down, but our Lord Jesus seeks to raise up.
Let's be more like Jesus. Thank you for your time.